Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Happy New Year from the DSR Network. We hope you had a safe and happy holiday season. We're excited about our plans for 2022, which will include more member content, exciting partnerships, and programming expansion. To celebrate what we hope to be a successful 2022, we are offering $2 off a monthly membership or $20 off an annual membership. Members receive access to bonus content, member-only briefings delivered on Wednesdays and Fridays, access to our member Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. To become a member, which goes a long way to supporting our work, please visit bit.ly slash dsrmember and use code DSR2022 at checkout. That's bit.ly slash DSR member and use code DSR2022 at checkout. Thank you. Nine, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio. Coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the second in our series of discussions that we call Beltway Black Box. The idea behind these is that what goes on inside the Beltway in Washington is often a black box to people for whom it matters the most, people in the business community and the financial services sector. Today's program, just like all the others in this series, will be a roundtable discussion where I'll ask some questions to some guests that we've got, uh, very distinguished guests. And then about halfway through, I'm going to turn to the folks who are participating in the live portion of this people we've invited so that they might ask questions. Thank you all for joining us. We think the discussion today is a particularly timely one. What we're focusing on is the intersection between technology and security, between the interests of countries like the United States to promote trade and technology, to benefit from trade and technology, and between the national security interests of those states. And we are seeing increasingly that that tension is translating itself into policies that sometimes impede trade, sometimes make trade impossible. And I think one of the reasons we're doing this discussion is that there is every sign that this tension is going to grow worse. We're joined today by Well, it will be three people. Right now, it's two people who are opening up the discussion. They include Dr. Pari Esfandiari, who is the president of the Global Technopolitics Forum, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and CEO at Pario. Welcome, Pari. Thank you. We are also joined by an old friend of mine, Bob LaRussa, who is counsel in the CFIUS practice at Sherman and Sterling and was Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade at the U.S. Department of Commerce. 
back with me in the John Adams administration. Um, well, not quite, but during the Clinton administration. At some point a little later in this dis uh, discussion, we will also be joined by our friend David Sanger, who is the White House and national security correspondent for The New York Times and a cyber expert and author of The Perfect Weapon. But I'm going to start with you, Bob, if I may. You've heard the discussion framed. You and I have talked about this for a long time now. And uh, when I look at what is happening, I see a government that is afraid, a government that is embracing in terms of the last podcast, we, we did zero trust policies, and that those zero trust approaches to technology are leading to obstacles in getting deals done, obstacle is in trade. And for example, as we look at the situation with Ukraine, novel uses of export controls to stop trade in technology, in this case as a kind of a weapon against Russia. But if you look at some of our trade with China, you'll see these things being used to stop what we see as threats from them. Perhaps you could give us an overview of what you see the policy environment like now and what perhaps you might see the implications or complications that poses to businesses. Very good, David. And uh, thank you very much. Always good to be here with you. I miss all day, those old days in the Clinton administration working with you. And a lot has, has changed and a lot has stayed the same since then. One thing I would say is that, that trade technology and national security are colliding more and more these days. The regulatory framework that's in place here is evolving rapidly, and that is having a significant impact on cross-border technology transactions. And when I say significant impact, I don't mean in smoothing them over. First, I want to note that much of the national security apparatus in the United States at this point is, in fact, focused on technology and trade. That focus is, focus is heightened. When, when the transaction in question involves perceived economic or geopolitical adversaries. So your introduction was right on point. And those adversaries obviously include PRC, um, People's Republic of China, and Russia in different contexts. Second, this focus is not just about protecting U.S. national security anymore. It is also about protecting U.S. technological competitiveness which actually changes the extent to which the U.S. government will get involved in things that it would not have gotten involved with before. Just for everybody's benefit, just as a little bit of background, the key regulators here are first CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which reviews foreign investments in U.S. businesses. Secondly, as David mentioned, the U.S. export control agencies at the Commerce Department, the State Department, and in terms of sanctions, the Treasury Department. and more recently, and very interestingly, the Commerce Department, in a much different manner in which um, the Commerce Department has been involved before. And that is based on a new directive from the White House, which has charged the Commerce Department with protecting the information and communications technology supply chain by basically investigating who companies are doing business with. And this is a huge move in my, in my view, a, mood, a, a huge change in direction in that we're not talking about exports, which are covered by export controls. We're not talking about imports, which are covered by CFIUS. But we're now talking about the very products that U.S. companies have used, are using for, a while, for quite a while. And the ability of the Commerce Department 
to take a look at the use of those products and say, you can't do that anymore. So the discussion is very timely. And I would say in terms of timeliness, for example, right now at this very moment in, you know, one of the biggest stories out there right now, the United States is considering sanctions against Russia. Those sanctions would basically cut off a wide range of technology products manufactured outside of the United States using certain U.S. equipment technology or software. And that's a leap, right? Usually export controls cover U.S. exports of certain technology. In this case, what they're talking about is cutting off, for example, the supply of semiconductors of Russia by saying those semiconductors were at some point in the history of the technology here were basically built using U.S. equipment or technology, and therefore we're going to apply a sanction against you being able to do that. That's the so-called direct product rule. And that is something that really is kind of a leap in terms of, of what the export control agencies have been willing to do. So that's the first thing. So we have an extension of, of U.S. export control to basically stop the sharing of technology with Russia. As for CFIUS, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, the U.S. Congress has made it clear um, recently that it views certain countries read as China, as a threat to U.S. technological dominance, and has told CFIUS to consider this as part of its national security reviews. The very fact that a country, in this case China, would be, would be basically involved in a transaction involving U.S. technology, that has to be considered. And in fact, the law governing CFIUS was revamped in 2018 with a primary focus not on defense transactions, but on tri- tri- by investments in U.S. businesses engaged in critical technologies, those operating in critical infrastructure, and those holding sensitive personal data. So this was a big shift from really a focus uh, traditionally on defense, a focus that changed 15 years ago to focus on critical infrastructure. And now the focus is very much on what are known as critical technologies, which can include emerging technology and foundational technologies and a whole range of, of U.S. products. Now, that is very traditionally been done. Now, the, the, the focus has changed to, from defense to technology. But this recently change that I noted about the Commerce Department strikes me as, as being important. So the U.S. government scrutiny of technology transactions has extended the use by U.S. company of foreign products, technology, and services in the information and communications technology supply chain. Now, this is known by one of many acronyms that you find in this area as ICTS. Now, what's the shift all about? The shift about now is that we're not talking about imports and exports anymore. We're talking about a company, a U.S. company, and I've represented a number of them recently in this context that has been using hardware, software, whatever it might be, that enables information or data processing or communications by any electronic means. So we're not talking about just telecommunications companies. We're talking about any companies that will use that in a way that basically would allow the transmission of certain types of data. And what the Commerce Department can do now is, is basically demand that U.S. company go through a, basically an a investigation to determine whether their supply chain should be broken up because the Commerce Department has determined that in this case, very specifically, the foreign companies involved in providing those services and, and that technology are foreign adversaries. And again, this is something that you find, I find a little bit different than what happened before. These new regulations, which are based upon 
a Trump administration and later changed by a Biden administration executive order, basically list foreign adversaries as the PRC, Russia, and other countries such as North Korea, Iran, Cuba, and entities in Venezuela that are usually part of, of sanctions that are more generic sanctions. So you've got this change from a focus by CFIUS and export controls on really defense-oriented or, or dual use to now a very key focus on technology transfers and a key focus on the use of foreign technology by U.S. companies with the e-commerce department and the U.S. government being able to intervene and say, you basically cannot use that anymore. You have to find new suppliers. So let's let's and, let's stop the overview there, if, yeah. if I may, because sure. I'd like to get to Pari and I'd also like to welcome David Sanger. And I will go to David with the next question. We're sort of going over the, the mood at the moment, David, and I know you've been studying that carefully. But Pari, I thought it'd be a good point to jump in and get your reaction to the, the change in the weather that Bob is describing here and whether you think that's constructive or not and whether you think it's worsening or not. Well, first of all, thank you, Bob. I think it was a very skillfully uh, portraying what is happening right now. You mentioned the changing world, and I'd like to emphasize that. And my question is, to what extent really structures of government decision-making and administration has changed? While the current changes are welcomed and there are huge advancement and progress towards what we had only a year ago, but nevertheless, the changes that are happening and taking place globally are so profound that they demand some fundamental changes within the structures of government. And I don't see that. That's important. Also, globally, we need uh, to think about the institution, international institution we have, whether they're capable of dealing with the problems that are arising. I feel and I'm afraid that these international organizations have served us very well, but are they up to the task that we are facing globally? I doubt it. So there are serious problems are appearing in the scene and there is a need to change of attitude, change of structures, change of decision-making and those changes, fundamental changes are not taking place. Just looking at the role private sector plays, still we treat private sector as separate from the government. Majority of uh, approaches are punitive, aftermath, where private sector has really assumed a very different role. When Twitter could silence sitting president, we know we are living in a different world. When Bill Gates spends more money in Africa than World uh, Health Organization, we know our world has changed. So considering these changes, I think what is happening right now is very cosmetic. We need far more fundamental changes. Thank you for that. David, I don't know how much you heard of Bob's uh, opening description, but clearly we're at a point of tension where our desire for security is increasingly restricting the abilities of companies to trade, to invest, and the government is finding new and different ways to restrict that capability. And at a certain point, you have to ask yourself the question, is 
the security we getting undermining the security we're getting? You know, I mean, there's a certain point, is it so difficult to to trade and to grow that we may find it difficult to remain competitive? This is something you studied carefully. What's your outlook viewpoint regarding this current situation? So I think we've got two separate issues. We have our relationship with China, and then we have it with everything else. With China, it's a reciprocal uh, set of restrictions we are seeing. China has, in the past few months, made some of the biggest high-tech companies in China remove their plans or their existing listings in the United States on U.S. markets. They have banned U.S. investment in many of those companies. And so they have gone about a series of efforts to try to wall off their own high-tech companies, which just a few years ago, they were encouraging to be in the U.S. market, to get U.S. investors, and to bring with that, of course, U.S. technology. So that's a big change that Xi Jinping has has brought about. And meanwhile, the U.S. has done uh, exactly what Bob just described which is a much broader way of thinking about the concept of export control. We used to do it just by the question of uh, whether or not a technology would end up in a defense system. And every once in a while, that spilled into consumer electronics. There were famous moments when there were issues about whether Nintendo machines, as they got more powerful, would provide semiconductor and microprocessor capability that the Chinese might mine for something else or the Russians might. But those are the exception to the rule. And now the rule, as Bob said, is more punishing than keeping technology just out of defense systems. And it's intended to make sure that pet projects like the aerospace industry for Vladimir Putin would suffer if he invades Ukraine. So the question is, where does this take us? Does it separate out our economies from those of the two major superpower uh, adversaries? Absolutely. Does it spread elsewhere in the world? It has not yet. But you could imagine it would. I think the really interesting issue is going to be whether or not you see the United States get all of its European allies to join in similar bans, and whether China and Russia work out a way to go try to trade with each other to get around the U.S. restrictions. Just picking up on where David left this, it also picks up on a point that Bari made. Right now, we seem to be dealing with this primarily on a bilateral level. There's a special focus on U.S.-China. A lot of the current debate flowed out of one particular case, the Huawei case, which seemed to open a lot of eyes to certain kinds of threats and dominate it. The novel export control situation is with regard to Russia. And as David notes, this is not something that ties in other countries. But as Pari noted, it's also not something for which there are multilateral mechanisms. It's not something that the international trading system is good at. And this bilateral structure poses a lot of risks. How do you see that? Do you see it changing anytime soon? That's a good question. And also, uh, both David and Perry said things that really interested me. First, it sounds like what David's describing is a 
a technological cold war with basically a split with Russia and China on one side and the U.S. and its allies and on the other side, and which would go beyond kind of the dynamic we've had of U.S. versus China over the last um, number of years. The second thing that also relates to that is what Parry said about international institutions. I do not know that, at least from my practice and from what I've done for the last 25 years, that I've seen an international organization that is able to, to have a huge impact here in terms of global policy. So I, I just haven't seen that. Instead, what's happening is, you know, the United States in many areas, as you know, from our days of the Commerce Department, anti-dumping, for example, the United States was a big promoter of that. And then the rest of the world did it and they turned it on us. And that's what I'm, we're seeing around the world is, is basically these, these national security review agencies springing up all over the world. And so basically different jurisdictions are basically taking different approaches. As far as the U.S. and Europe working together, that was the goal of Congress in basically um, passing the um, one of the goals of Congress in passing the um, Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act in 2018, which changed CFIUS. And basically, the direction of Congress was you go out administration and you basically develop with our allies kind of a joint approach here and really meant not as kind of a, a, a set of rules, but, but meant more as a how do we have a bulwark against China? I think you'll see more of that. Obviously, the Biden administration has been much more focusing on, on multilateral approaches and bilateral. So I think you'll see some of that. But really, you know, when it comes to the United States, and I, I should have said this in, in, my, in my introduction, to me, you said, what, how do you, what's the balance here? The balance for me is not making decisions in areas like this based upon politics. And, you know, look, there's obviously a lot, about, a lot about that. And I don't know that until you can somehow affect that, that you're going to have an impact on, on smoothing things for U.S. businesses. One quick example, and then I'll stop talking, is the Section 232 steel tariffs which were under Trump were claimed as national security um, under national security statute. That's ridiculous. Until you start looking at the risk and vulnerability of U.S. assets, as opposed to the politics involved, anti-China, anti-Russia, whatever it might be, we're going to have a real problem here. So I think a start would be right for the United States and, and allies, European Union, Canada, Australia, to work together on this. Pari. Bob characterized a situation that David was describing as technological cold war, particularly right now between the two predominant powers in the world, the United States and China, but one that you could see extending to other countries that are considered bad actors. This is a it's a kind of a new phenomenon. It's a long way from banning the trade in five-axis machinery or some of the other targets of export controls, because the technologies that are involved, chip technologies, some software technologies like AI, are going to be embedded in everything. Everything will contain them. You know, your refrigerator will contain them. So all of a sudden, Engaging in a technological cold war could inadvertently get you involved in a very broad trade war with really profound economic consequences. Do you worry that's where we're headed? There are a lot of uh, concerns uh, right now. So, yes, we could head towards a very adversary uh, situation. I hope not. I think that 
our economy is too intertwined. I think for all the talks about decoupling, still it's it cannot happen. There's too much interaction. When it comes to technology, again, there is a lot of talk, especially in Europe, about autonomy and sovereignty. But nevertheless, last administration caused lasting damages in terms of relationship. And I'm very concerned right now forcing these allies to make a decision and to make a choice, basically, between being with United States or being against United States. And all of those are concerning. So I'm hesitant to use uh, terms such as Cold War. I'd rather to think about possibility of bringing things together and resolving it in a more collaborative, cooperative manner. Even China right now is prepared to work with us, at least on the global issues, such as environmental issues. So there's a lot of room for maneuver. We need to to work on those areas and try to resolve problems, more of soft power, more of diplomacy than confrontation. And I do believe that the current administration is emphasizing soft power, emphasizing diplomacy. And that's the way we need to go, basically. Otherwise, there are dangerous, dangerous paths could open. Technology could lead us to very complex circumstances. And I hope that we don't allow that to happen. So I'm going to ask one last question to David, then I'll turn to the audience questions and we'll have about 10 minutes for that. So quicker answers, I think, will be called for by everybody. But David, Pari just describes what's kind of ideal. You and I probably talk about Cold War more often than we ask each other how we're doing these days. And uh, what she describes seems a little overly optimistic to me, given the discussions that I've had recently with senior U.S. officials who don't think there is opportunity for progress with China. You study this more closely than anybody I know. Do you think we, you know, traditional Cold Wars aside, do you think we're on the verge of a technological Cold War with China that is going to take us into new territory here? No, David, I don't think we're on the verge of it. I think we're deeply in it. We saw it even during the Trump administration as China tried in its Made in China 2025 program to surge ahead in semiconductors and the U.S. blocked their ability to get the machinery, mostly Dutch machinery that you need for the fine lithography of of the most competitive chips. You saw it in 5G as Mike Pompeo, then Secretary of State, went around the world and threatened allies who were going to be purchasing the 5G equipment. The Biden administration has changed its approach to allies, has been much more collaborative. But if anything, they have stepped up the pressure on China in that regard. And now we are seeing that extend to Russia. And you mentioned a question ago, the issue of consumer products that just contain these chips. So phase one of the American threat to the Russians, if they invade, is depriving them of the components they need for industrial processes, for aircraft, things that mean a lot to President Putin. Step two is to deny them consumer products that contain those components. 
in an effort to make the Russian public say, hey, wait a minute, we're not getting our iPhone 13 because Vladimir Putin wanted Ukraine back. What's with that? And so, you know, in a world in which we are not going to send American military forces into a non to, to fight for the freedom of a non NATO country, we have no treaty obligation to do so with Ukraine. This is the most powerful stuff that we've got. Parry has described an alternative universe in which countries of goodwill would work this out through matters of soft power. Boy, do I wish that was the case. But I don't think that's the world we're looking at right now. We'll continue these discussions. I'm sure there'll be another one of these next month. I hope in the future that Bob and Parry will join us. I'm counting on the fact that David, who was there at the beginning, will be back on a regular basis, particularly in these technology discussions, which he knows so well. And I hope that all of you who are listening, both in the live audience and in the audience who are listening to this as a podcast, will join us. And and, uh, if there are subjects you want us to cover, tweet at us, DM us, email us, reach out to us. Uh, If you're a member, reach out to us on Slack. We want to develop this. We think it's really important. And while other issues may be getting the headlines, this is going to touch everybody's life. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll be back with you again soon. Bye-bye.